Hello friends! This is People Are Interesting with Jan K. In each episode of this show, unique individuals share stories that take us on a ride across ideas and places. Featuring crocodile attacks in Indonesia, escaping war-torn Lebanon, and shark protection schemes in Mauritania. This podcast takes you where you've never been before. Enjoy and thank you for joining the club. And we're running. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about my travels and observations from visiting Belarus, Ukraine and Russia, which in the past formed Soviet Union. So my first experience was actually when I was really young. My dad and his friend, we went to Western Ukraine and to the city of Lvov, which is the biggest city in Western Ukraine. I think traditionally it's quite, it has a very strong sense of Ukrainianness, if that's a word. So people who live there have the strong sense of Ukrainian nationality. And I think that's a bit distinct from Eastern Ukraine, which is traditionally Russian speaking and I think it still largely considers itself um, it has stronger ties to Russia than the Western Ukraine traditionally which I think considers itself a little bit more autonomous and also in in Western Ukraine they tend to speak Ukrainian way more often than they do in Eastern Ukraine. Granted that probably now it has changed because of the war, the annexation of Crimea, the war with Russia and the separatists in, what is it called, Donbas and Lugansk. I think those are the two autonomous republics. So I think this is probably a little bit more more fluid these days where people speak Ukrainian and where they speak Russian on the territory of Ukraine these days. But traditionally, it was East Russian speaking, West Ukrainian speaking. The differences aren't that huge, I think. I would say that a lot of people in Ukraine, if they speak Ukrainian, they also tend to speak Russian. I don't know if it's necessarily the other way around. So if someone speaks Russian, I don't think they will necessarily speak Ukrainian. And Ukrainian is this interesting kind of in between Polish and Russian. So for example, it uses Cyrillics, but it has some extra letters that are not in Cyrillics or or not in Cyrillic alphabet. And so it's it's its own distinct thing. It's ha- it has its own words. I don't know so much about Ukrainian voca- vocabulary, whether it's v- um, a grammar. Sorry, it definitely has its own vocabulary. But I don't know about the grammar, whether it's different from Ukrainian, uh, from Russian. But that's the short linguistic digression from me. So I enter Ukraine when I'm how old might have I been? Maybe seven, maybe maybe younger, maybe like five. I was young. So I just remember 
we go to the city it's a short short trip we go my dad and his friend they buy lots of cigarettes lots of vodka <laughs> and i think that's how 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 it how how you would do it back then because you could sell cigs and vodka cheaper in poland than uh, uh, sorry you you could buy them cheaply in ukraine and sell them for more in poland so it's kind of like a contraband although i don't think that's what my my dad and his friends friend were doing they just we just went for a trip short trip to ukraine and i think there is a limited amount that you can of cigarettes and booze that you can just bring back but i think they overran it a little bit because their sneaky plan was to load up load up my backpack with some extra cigs and vodka because the border security would not check a child that's what that was their thinking behind it i think so so i had a backpack full of goodies and and there we went on towards the border and we went through no problem as as planned they didn't check my backpack actually it's funny because i remember that um my parents were often doing that when we went on holiday somewhere whether it was in spain or wherever it was back in the days where i feel like those security checks were a bit different than they were than they were these days i remember that for example they would load up my backpack with wine with bottles of wine a lot of wine so they can drink it at home and for some reason i feel like nobody ever checked that this backpack that i was going through i think i was just so young that i that, that, that i would just go through metal i would just go through metal detector and the security wouldn't bother with asking me to like take my clothes off and my backpack off i think that's what it was all about but i'm not sure i was so young but anyway i just remember that ukraine was pretty gray i can't remember much but i remember it was pretty gray and then and then that was it that was the whole experience and then i didn't really have much of an experience with neither of the the three countries i'm going to be talking about today until well into my teenage years i think the first time i went again to one of those former soviet republics was min uh, sorry belarus i remember crossing the border so obviously to to even funnily enough belarus is called european last dictatorship and is also known as european north korea because that it's very isolated from the outside world and it's very autarkic so it relies on it doesn't really trade with the world outside world as much as even even ukraine is way more connected to the let's say western world than belarus is or was and it's still ruled by alexander Lukashenko, which is it, this guy was a he was a director of 
a an state-run farm, I think. And then through some machinations, he won, I think it was a democratic election roughly in Belarus that he won in the 90s. And then he just never let go of his power. And even protests a year or two years ago didn't manage to um, sweep him from from power. So this guy has been in charge forever. I think he might be the he might be the longest running uh, how would you call it? Cuz he's not really elected or anything like that. There are elections in Ukraine, but they are obviously they are not fair. Uh, the the opposition is arrested frequently and um, even in Uk in Belarus, every now and then you have, um, how do you call it? You have uh, protesters on the streets, but they tend to be just arrested by what is interestingly KGB. So Belarus kept its original name for for the security services. Russia, for example, changed their name. Ukraine also. And but Belarusians stuck to their guns and they still have KGB, which is scary, I would say. So anyway, I getting the visa to get into Belarus is a whole trip. You need to go to embassy at least once or twice, I think, to eventually get your visa. And I did that, obviously, at the embassy. I don't remember, but I don't think they I think they tend to speak Russian to you at the embassy which is a bit funny oh, oh also again linguistic anecdote so Belarus also there is something called Bel Belarusian or I think language but I think it's way less distinct than Ukrainian Belarusians mainly speak Russian as far as I'm concerned I think they also kind of tend to have their little hmm, little nuances. So it would be like a, a, what would you call that? It's not like a slang, but it's a, it's like a, it's like a shade of Russian. It's not really Russian, but it's a Russian with quite small differences. And that would be Belarusian. So again, I think they have like, one or two letters in their uh, alphabet that is different than in Russian. And, you know, they will have their own few poets that write in what they consider Belarusian. And I think names of streets in Minsk are in Belarusian as well. I don't even know if you pronounce it Belarusian or Be Belarusian. Probably Belarusian. It's just hard, a bit harder to say. So, anyway. I get to the border with Belarus and one of the ways to, there is no walk pedestrian border crossings. You can either cross the border by train or by car. So my first time I crossed it by train. So you get to the train station at the border. I think you go through some sort of border security and then you get to the platform and you hop on the train 
and there is no direct link, let's say, between Warsaw and Belarus, for the reason that the tracks are either wider or narrower than the European ones. So Russia and the, the area that used to be the Russian Empire, they have their, their own track size. And apparently that's for the reason that if Russia was ever to be invaded, the, the Russian you know, Tsar or whoever was in charge wanted to make logistics of, of such invasion more difficult. And so obviously there would be less train carts available for whatever Western power was trying to invade the Russian Empire because they're, they're, they couldn't use the cards that you use in Europe. So that's, that's pretty clever. But makes crossing border a bit more difficult and just generally speaking, transportation west, east, in my opinion, more difficult. So you hop on this train and this train, I think there are some guys with guns that will check your passport but maybe actually there isn't maybe you just hop on the train this train takes you to like the nearest city in belarus you get out of this train and that's it this is just how you cross the border so they have control over who crosses the border and then you get out on the platform you go to the hall and then you go through the actual security border security check where there is a lot of soldiers and some kind of security forces. So I remember they opened my suitcase and I had few books and one of those books was red cover and a it had a, what is it called? The sign of Soviet Union, a hammer and a, a hammer and a whatever, the other instrument to cut wheat, I think it is. And, and it, and the, I remember the, the, the KGB guy looked at this book, looked at me, asked me, which means what the hell is that? Um, and I said, it's just a book. And he, which I think it was like a historic, historical book or something about history. And so he took the book, asked me to wait and went somewhere with this book. And I waited maybe five minutes maybe slightly more and he came back. I don't know what he did. Maybe he like asked his supervisor, Tavarish, what, uh, what should we do with this book? And this guy, is this, is this guy a threat to, to the security in this country? Um, probably a conversation of this kind. Um, and this guy was the, the supervisor probably was like, you moron. It's just a book. Just leave the guy alone. Uh, he's he's not dangerous. I would imagine that something like that must have played out. So he handed back the book. He let me zip my suitcase, and they just you know let me go. And I stayed in Belarus for. I think the first time I stayed for like a week, I was traveling Western Belarus, checking out all those villages and like small towns in Western Belarus which some of them, I mean, all of them used to be Polish back in the history, back in the past. And I don't know if there are any influences of that left. I think every now and then you can meet someone who still speaks Polish. I think that was our experience 
every now and then but it's uh, it's such a just forgotten world there like those villages look like from from literally from dostoevsky's 19th century or whenever you know dostoevsky was writing um absolutely forgotten god forgotten villages with they i mean they have electricity they have water i presume but those houses are it's like a it's like a museum honestly obviously alcoholism is rampant there people drink so much a lot of a lot of stories i think we we talked to one of the guys who runs a business there and he mentioned that there are there's many situations instances where he will pay the wages of his employees directly to the wife or the wives of those employees because otherwise they will just take the money and disappear <laughs> go on a bender and just come back with no money a week later and i kind of understand it, it it's it's so boring there the national vegetable of belarus is potato i think and all of their traditional dishes are potatoes so mm, potato pancakes are a, are a big thing with cream or with mushrooms which are they are quite good by the way i'm i'm not going to say even one bad thing about those and some soups they have decent soups in belarus so all in all not that bad i would say when it comes to cuisine if you like starchy food you're going to be okay some uh, herring they they do herring they have like salted seafood and salted and dry seafood like salted and dry squid i remember that that's really good it's really good stuff and they have caviar or is it caviar just fish eggs because maybe caviar is the name for this particular type of fish eggs that is like really fancy and really expensive but they just sell fish eggs canned everywhere in every supermarket and they have really good bread as well so you can just buy nice bread and this those egg fish uh, fish eggs <laughs> and just eat that delicious very salty though but it's a good it's a good snack it's a good treat and i just tra- traveled for like a few days in the in western belarus i stayed in this fancy air quotes spa for wealthy russians and it looked because obviously it wasn't that expensive by by standards of someone who's not from belarus but for the locals obviously it would be unaffordable so it was pretty 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 cool pretty you know the the food options were hilarious at their at their restaurants there um and every like the the architecture and interior design are kind of like they're it, everything was new and clean and everything that's also one thing to mention about Be- belarus that everything that was kind of a public space was very clean very very well well up kept and taken care of so you can't really you know complain about that 
And I think the reason for that is that there is so much unemployment that it's very affordable for the state to just employ cleaners. And this way they create jobs and, you know, everything seems like it's going well. Um, so Minsk, for example, is, in, is spotless, absolutely spotless. And yeah, and then I just came back and that was that, was that I, I think. Just a lot of fields, a lot of potatoes, a lot of dried fish and dried squid. It was good. Good experience. Talking to people. I don't think I talked that much to people during that trip. I was just, just there for a couple of days. And then just a few months later, I actually moved to Belarus for three months or four. I think three maybe it was and I was attending classes there learning Russian at a university and that was very interesting so I stayed in the dorm like a student I remember that they wouldn't place me in a dorm with locals and I don't know why that was the case but perhaps they wanted to, they were worried that I would be subverting them and, you know, spreading Western propaganda or something like that, ex explaining how things, you know, should be, how things are in Europe and how nice we have it there versus, I, I, I guess that that's what they were worried about. So they would put me in a room just for myself and in this room normally you can, keep I think five people but it was just me so after that I asked if they could put me in the room with someone so I can actually hang out so they gave me like an English guy <laughs> they gave me an English guy then they gave me a Swedish guy and then they gave me a fucking Brazilian guy but they never gave me like a Ukrainian guy or Belarusian guy or Russian guy so they really I think they really tried to keep us separate i think that was the idea swedish guy interesting type a bit on the psycho side he said and i quote i worked in a prison as a prison guard in sweden once we kicked one of the prisoners to death just for fun oh yeah i think he had a just for fun and i had to sleep with that guy for months so i um i had a ball but i didn't want to kick kick the ball around with him so there was this guy there was the brazilian guy i don't know how he got from brazil to belarus what was his whole deal but he was very friendly, very kind. There's one German guy as well. Also really nice. I think he was escaping drug addiction. So he was joining military in Germany. And he was doing lots of drugs in Germany. So I think his parents were... Oh, I think he also had a Russian passport, this German guy. He was half German, half Russian. So I think his parents were like, look, this is getting out of control. Why don't you go to Belarus where there's zero drugs, probably, because the country is so tightly 
controlled. There's no weed in Belarus. There's only apparently when I asked the students in the dorm, they said that there's only this Chinese weed, fake weed that, that they call spice or something like that. And apparently if you smoke it three times, you're half of your brain is fried. You just don't have it anymore. And there's no other weed. They, in Belarus, they just don't smoke weed. I think that might be for the reason that, um, I don't know, most weed comes from, like, I don't know, maybe they just don't grow it there. They, they It's not easy to smuggle it into Belarus. Whatever it is, they, you don't, we don't have it there. Um, yeah, so there was the Brazilian guy, the German guy, me. Uh, I don't have any like dark background story, so I don't know what I was doing there. Um, and and a, and a British guy, a photographer, who was there only for two weeks, and then he just bounced. I think he was. He realized that this is, this is a very particular place. He was he was in, so, <laughs> so he just he just. Um, went back. And. A lot of when it comes to students, foreign students on at the university there, there was a lot of, um, a lot of, nor uh, sorry not North Koreans, South Koreans, a lot of South Koreans, and a lot of Turkish, and a lot of Japanese. I feel like these were the main groups. Nobody from Poland, but but for me. So, interesting countries. I think South Koreans, they wanted to learn Russian and it's way cheaper to learn Russian in Belarus, Belarus than in, in Moscow, let's say. That was also the reason why I, I was there because Moscow is so expensive to do anything there. So incredibly expensive. And just thinking what else oh yes the uh, what i wanted to say was the dorm they, they had really funny they had really funny rules at the dorm so you had to be back at the dorm by 10 you couldn't have any guests by 10 i think and if you had a guest you needed to check the guest in and I think that if, 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 I remember I was drinking with those Ukraine Belarusians once and it was already past 10 and we ran out of vodka. So they jumped out of the balcony on the first floor into a big heap of snow and just ran to the supermarket, came back and we like threw them a blanket and on this blanket we tried to pull them pull them up to the balcony like tied to these belarusian guys literally tied two blankets together and through the blanket like they are queen trapped uh princess trapped in a in a tower and they tried to pull this other guy this way but i think it didn't work so he had to go through the main entrance and parlay with with the with the with the security guy to let him in so that was a fun little story there 
is there anything interesting there is a beautiful mosaic in the center of Minsk that is depicting that depicts um, Russian space travel uh, so stunning I recommend highly recommend anyone who would go whatever consider going to Minsk to try that to see that it's beautiful and by the way a former Soviet Union is all sprinkled with mosaics so it's very interesting that this is the kind of art form they picked for themselves um, so a lot a lot of a lot of those everywhere so long story short i stayed there for a few months and it was like it was minsk back when i was there five years ago or so wasn't particularly fun place there wasn't that much going on there it's a very sleepy very quiet very clean city even though there is i think one million in minsk itself living and three million around it which is pretty much 40 percent of the population of the whole country lives around there but there's nothing pretty much going on in the city itself so it's it's bizarre it's really quite bizarre in my opinion um any there is i think there's like a small river going through the city I remember once I was trying to get a haircut and I got on the tram to find this address where I booked the haircut and this tram took me to some sort of a like a wor um, workers neighborhood where employees of a factory lived and it was there was kind of no pavements there but people like there were buildings and everything so i remember i was trying to find my way around and i re i think i didn't ever find the hair hairdresser because I, I just got scared i don't know why because minsk is and, and belarus i think these are they are very safe places generally speaking i always felt very safe there so except for the kgb i guess which were, you know, actually a lot of police and soldiers on the streets as well. So it was it was kind of weird in a way, because, um, well, because I'm not I'm not used to seeing so many policemen and and soldiers on the street, but just patrolling the street. Um, which makes me think of my time in Russia. That's a militarized society as well. Oh my God, soldiers everywhere as well, just patrolling streets. Not like everywhere, everywhere, but you see them quite frequently. And I remember every day when I was in, in Russia, I would be on my way to classes, to university, and there was kind of a, like a military, like a military boot camp or something like that. So every morning they were, shouting and screaming those uh, soldier you know songs and when there was like a, an early an early meeting of i don't know how you you would call when all the soldiers kind of stand in, stand in lines and just you know count if everyone is there and you know like a morning prayer <laughs> almost um but anyway after those couple of months in Minsk I 
I just came back because it was kind of boring to be fair there there wasn't really much going on so I just um, bailed mm. and then my next experience was in Ukraine I just went for a weekend again to Lvov which is the city in western Ukraine where when I was walking back at night I was taken for a Russian and it was kind of like during the the war with you uh, Russian with Russia and everything so I was taken for a Russian there because I was I think I was speaking on the street Russian and just a bunch of guys um, attacked me and and my uncle and beat the uh, the crap out of us they fractured my jaw and uh, I didn't even know that I had a fractured jaw at the time and I only figured it out um, days later when I got back to Poland I just I figured that I can't really eat when I had this the next day and uh, that was it so I, I because I thought that wow if you fractured your jaw it's like it must be terrible and swollen and everything when it while it was swollen it wasn't even that bad so but yeah they had to put me together when you have a broken jaw they need to put cut like make incisions from inside of your mouth and put um, metal plates into to to make sure that the jaw sticks together so that's what happened to me so it's like a f whole surgery and i remember they performed it in poland and the first thing when i woke up i, I um i obviously i didn't know where i was and i tried to get up and stand up and they obviously tried to stop me and then i asked um i i was i was in poland but i started speaking in english which confused confused them very much and I asked them where am I and I looked at the doctor do you have weed and the, the the medical team just looked at each other and one of the nurses was like why is he talking in English what what's his deal and obviously after that I just was like whoa what a trip because they had to put me to sleep so that was very very interesting um but actually being put to sleep is a very interesting thing because they cause they literally uh, just um put the mask on you you take three breaths and you're out completely out and i just woke up after the whole surgery and i was like whoa this is this is it this is done amazing and i remember just because they had to like pull the side of my mouth with like this metal hook to get to the actual place where it was fractured. I remember that it was all cracked and torn. And I asked my mom if she has any sort of lip balm or anything. And because she didn't have any, which I didn't know at the time, she said, yes, I do. And she like put, put the lip balm on my, on my lips. And then only an hour or so later, I looked in the mirror and I realized that that was lip gloss. So I was just after the surgery my whole face was swollen up i looked like a like this potato that they grow in mince in in belarus all messed up and on top of that with a with a lip with lip gloss on my on my lips so i looked like fucking joker if if he fell under under a under a freight train or something like that so that was that was hilarious so that was my second experience of Ukraine. And then, because I didn't have enough, clearly, I went to Russia for three weeks. So I went to Moscow. Let me look at the notes. Oh, I actually ran out of notes when it comes to Russia. 
So I went to Moscow first. I spent there a couple of days, maybe like three or four. And it's a massive cosmopolitan city, very expensive, a lot of fancy cars, so many fancy cars. And they are not just fancy cars, like it's a nice, let's say it's a nice BMW. No, no, they're all customized and all in fancy colors and flashy colors. And it's all just, you know, wealth. But there's also just people who don't have money. So it's very, the inequalities, you can see it clearly in Russia. But Moscow, it looks like it's quite fun. If I had to live in any place in, let's say, former Soviet Union, if it had to be a city, I would probably pick Moscow, even though it's very expensive. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. I didn't really have any particularly interesting experiences in Moscow, but for the fact that I found a cardboard um, statute of Lenin and Stalin and who was the f and Putin and I took a photo with with the three of them three stars absolute legends and I don't think I had any other experiences that are worth you know worth mentioning oh yes no sorry there was obviously sorry the place i stayed at was i when i was booking it on airbnb it looked it looked good central location quite cheap you know what could go wrong so i showed up there like quite late at night and it was a it was this weird hostel but this hostel was kind of for people who live there somewhat permanently so there was a lot, like a bunch of people from Central Asia, like Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and they were just, you could see that they, they are staying there kind of long term and they just go to work and everything. And then they probably like just work in Moscow for a few months and they go back to their country or wherever they live. Uh, so that was really interesting, but also there was so when you when you when I entered the hostel, there was so many shoes and and it just it looked like this weird flat with like but just instead of four people living in this flat, there was forty people living in this flat. So that was very interesting. Also, obviously, felt a little bit uncomfortable, but overall, you know, it cost. I think it cost like ten pounds a night or something like that for a bed and basically bad not much more but it was clean and everything so i couldn't really really complain but that was a bit hilarious mm. oh yes when i was there there was actually pretty heavy protests because the central government decided that they are not gonna let opposition candidates in the municipal elections run for the whatever it was mayor of moscow or like a parliament of Moscow or like the assembly, Moscow assembly, I think it was. So people were on the street really pissed, really angry, lots of them protesting. So I showed up accidentally to one of those, those protests and I, I quickly figured out that this is not a good place for me to be because obviously I have no clue what's going on here. And then, so I quickly dashed and then there was already police kind of circling off the protesting with like a cordon around this pro protesters like a bunch of streets they were just cutting them off and 
then I saw on the news that they were like shooting rubber bullets and and just pacifying them, I guess. So from Moscow, I caught a plane and I flew to Samara, which is a city on Volga. It's called Rocket City because most of the rockets that were used by Soviet Union in their space program were actually assembled in Samara. And Samara is a city close to Kazakhstan in central, in central Russia on Volga River. Volga is the biggest river of Europe, the longest, I think. Over 3,000 kilometers, definitely it has. And it, the river is massive, absolutely massive and very monumental. It definitely, very good sunsets over the river as well. So this city is located on the river. It was a host of 2018 World Cup, Rocket City. There isn't really much else to say about it. It's located close to Kazakhstan and not far from it there is there are those satellite cities one of them is called Toliati I think after some sort of a Italian communist and I asked if uh, one of the locals in Samara if going to Toliati is a good idea but they said absolutely no because there's a lot of gopniks there. Gopniks are chavs, essentially, but in Russia. So I didn't end up going. It's very interesting because it's so close to Kazakhstan. So there's a lot of people kind of traveling, I think, from Kazakhstan to maybe Moscow or somewhere else in, in Russia. So they have those massive bags wrapped in plastic wrapper and you can just see they're traveling which I think is very interesting. I kind of wish I went to Kazakhstan now that I think of it. But but yeah, but I didn't. Um, and I wonder if... It was kind of bizarre when I wanted to go for a run. You couldn't run in the park. Park was the only... There wasn't much green area in, in this city. But the, the nice place was a park and you couldn't run in the park. So that was slightly annoying. Another funny thing was uh, public baths. So I, I found one on Google Maps. I went there. I, it was kind of like not in the center of the city. A little bit sketchy, I would say, the street that I was walking on. And I was thinking that there's no way that there's any reputable place at the end of this road. But there was. I was so wrong. There was a, a public bath that was built in the 60s or 70s and it was still running, still open. I think it was bath number 37, public bath number 37. And when I walked into this bath, uh, which in Russia is called Banya, the ladies that were in charge of, you know, the receptionists, they just couldn't believe. A foreigner, what are you doing here? How did you find this place? And cash only, by the way, and I had only cards. So I said, I will go and try to find a cash point, which took me back to the main street. And when I came back, 
they they were oh my god we actually didn't think you would come back <laughs> but i i definitely did and it was a it was a hell of an experience because it really was the og thing how how the bath how the russians actually how the working class let's say because you can also rent private rooms obviously not in that baths but that, that, that that's what russians also do they will gather like a bunch of friends and rent just one room just for them so the public bath you go there and it's old it's made of wood it's really hot inside and you you use those um birch tree twigs to to you know beat yourself and open pores in your skin and it's so hot when you do that but it's really refreshing and really just great so that was the best experience so you can chat to some people that are there find out what's going on and it's a real experience i was going there almost every other day a couple of times a week usually it's it was one of my favorite things and then really really interesting thing one of those days when i was there in samara there was a holiday of the paratroopers which is called in in russia this this branch of military is called the vedava so they were saying oh when the vedava is partying you foreigners need to stay in the hotel to avoid any troubles because they are jumping in the fountains they are getting wasted and you know you you don't want trouble so so i actually just kind of stayed on that evening at home i, I wasn't par parading a lot on that night since the organizer i think the organizers of our trip just didn't want any trouble for us i think they were just being extra careful rather than you know that there was really that much threat going on there was just a bunch of drunk soldiers which is like probably never an ideal situation if you're I don't know disrespectful towards them or they think you're disrespectful towards them so it was just probably just kind of like trying to play it safe and play it cool but they were saying that every day there every every year when they when they have those parties this this celebration the celebratory day you know there are fights in the city center and things are just going down so that's i think that's funny and something else that is worth adding. Hmm. Hospitality, I think, of the university that invited invited all the a lot of foreign students from Poland, from you know whoever applied really could get a spot if you were a student. So that was amazing. They hosted us in a hotel and you know organized classes for us they organized some some trips and tours so i think it's just the hospitality of the university in samara that's something extremely that that's something that i'm extremely fond of um, and also just interactions with russian people they are initially i would say that they might be a bit shy or timid but they are really good people and all of my experiences of interactions with with russians belarusians and ukrainians with the reservation of the ukrainians that fractured my jaw were really really good so there's a lot of like, good people there uh, 
And I think politics is kind of blurring that 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 point a little bit because and I think especially in country like Russia, there is a big distinction between what the government and what the media and politics is saying and what's going on in that sphere and what the actual people think. And that was always the case during the communism, especially, you know, the party would be saying one thing and people on the streets would be saying completely different thing and believe, nobody would believe the government. There is a, you know, there is a good reason why a lot of people in Russia do not want to get vaccinated just because they don't trust the government. They don't think that whatever the government is giving them is going to be legit. I don't know if it's legit or not legit. I'm not a medical expert, but I think that's the, they just have so little trust in the government that they just prefer to stay the F away. And I think just to wrap it up, really, that yeah i would say that that's probably my strongest message that russia belarus and ukraine are actually in my opinion very very safe and very clean and a very interesting culture rich culture interesting very kind and interesting people hospital hospitable people all the all the good things thanks thanks for listening and until next time take care or actually this recording would not be complete if I wouldn't mention that during World War II Samara was a place prepared as the capital in in which um, the, the, the you know the Soviet government would retreat to if Moscow fell. So there is this place called Stalin's Bunker, and it's really deep underground in the center of Samara, which was just prepared for the eventuality of Moscow falling and the Soviet government retreating to Samara further east. And it's <clears throat> the entrance to this bunker has this massive head of Stalin as a mosaic. And inside, you you can see the room that would be for Stalin, which is where Stalin, sorry, where Stalin would sleep. And it's a tiny little, you know, room. It's very all very quite quite basic, but it 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 was pretty interesting in terms of just seeing what was the plan B for if Russia if Germans won the war or where you know. If, if they if they have taken Moscow so this time it's really the end that was kind of like a footnote to the whole recording thanks again and until next time bye <laughs>